I want to turn this morning to look at the healing of blind Bartimaeus, which is recorded in three of the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew 20, for example, and here in Mark's Gospel. And there is perhaps a particular significance in this miracle, because this really marks the end of the section of the Gospel which deals with the teaching and the healings of Jesus before now he deliberately, as it were, turns his face toward Jerusalem. At least he comes into Jerusalem. Uh, Of course, in a sense, all the time he's been going up to Jerusalem. But now his ministry from Mark 11 onwards centers on Jerusalem and then his crucifixion and his resurrection. So there's a particular significance in the placement of this healing miracle here uh, at the end of Mark 10. We're going to look firstly and briefly at the narrative itself and then try and draw some lessons from that narrative. Just as a point of detail, Matthew tells us that there were two blind men, by the way, who Jesus healed here in Jericho at this time. But Mark, who provides us with the name Bartimaeus, Mark just mentions one. And there's probably more than one reason for that. Um, Let me just give you one very possible reason. Um, Blind Bartimaeus may well have been known within the early church, the son of Timaeus. He might have been a figure, as it were, known in Jericho and then known in the early church as a result of the ministry of Jesus. And so as they speak as he speaks of one, in a sense he's speaking of both of them. Now this is as Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho is west of the Jordan, about five miles west, and then there's about another fifteen miles north east, sorry, another fifteen miles north west uh, to go to Jerusalem. So we're about 15 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was considerably higher than Jericho, about 3,300 feet higher. Hence the parable of the Good Samaritan who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And there's a great crowd going up, a great number of people because it's just coming to the Passover time. So Mark 11 tells us more about that. So these are pilgrims passing through, and it's going to be Jesus' last Passover. And here, as Christ goes through, we find Bartimaeus sat by the highway side begging. He was blind, and there was no social services in Israel at that time, and begging would have been his only means of subsistence. Uh, And Jericho wasn't a bad place for him to be doing it, although it was a pretty grim thing to be doing, I suppose. But Jericho would have been better than some places, partly because it was on trade routes. So a lot of people would have been going through and partly because it was at this time quite a wealthy and well-endowed place. It had one of the winter palaces of Herod there, for example, And it's known that it was a place of palm trees and rose gardens, a sort of place that people might well linger in and enjoy and maybe be generous 
to people like Bartimaeus. Well, he heard that Jesus was passing by and he began to cry out, as it says, and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. No doubt he'd heard about Jesus and therefore this title, Son of David, which was being bandied about amongst the crowd, is something that uh, he got hold of. And here he sees his only opportunity, it would seem, for healing. He knows that there's no other opportunity other than what Jesus can do for him. And so he begins to shout and to yell. And in spite of people trying to shut him up, and perhaps those people were the disciples themselves, uh, especially if they were in the same way of thinking as we find in verse 13 of Mark 10, when they bring young children to Jesus and the disciples rebuke them uh, rather than encouraging the mothers to bring their children to Jesus. If the disciples were in such an ungenerous spirit at, at this time, then it may have been them that told this man to hold his peace. Uh, but he doesn't hold his peace. He keeps on shouting. He keeps on calling for help. He perseveres. And so Jesus, we're told, stands still. Jesus commands that he should be brought. And then the crowd change their tune, don't they? Interesting. Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. It's a good little reminder, just a little detail, uh, a reminder that we don't go on what everybody is saying. We don't go on what, what everyone is doing. We have to go on truth. We have to go on righteousness, not on what public opinion says. Well, they call for him and say, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And we're told such was his haste, such was his confidence that he would be healed. He cast away his garment and rose and came to Jesus. Perhaps this was his only real material possession as well as his other clothes, this outer garment. Uh, and he cast this cloak away. It's now of no importance compared to what is about to take place. And then Christ asks him a strange question, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Well, it's obvious from our perspective what Bartimaeus wanted. Uh, and why the question? Well, surely this is a question from Jesus concerning priorities. Maybe, too, there's a rhetorical note in this because in the previous section of the gospel account, we have James and John coming and saying to Jesus, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatever we shall desire. And Jesus says to them, what would you that I should do for you? It's the same question. But the priorities of James and John were very mixed up and very flawed. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with a spiritual ambition to be of great use in the kingdom of God. It was clear that their ambitions were very self-centered. They wanted to be on Christ's thrones on either side of him, to sit on his right hand and on his left hand. And the other disciples, the, the ten, weren't much better either because they were very upset with James and John because they felt that they had had a march stolen on them, 
no doubt. Uh, but they were thinking in wrong terms. Nothing wrong with being great in the kingdom, but greatness comes through service. So there was the thought of priorities in that uh, conversation, and there is surely priorities at work here with this blind man. What do you want? Do you want money? What is it you really want? And back comes the answer, Lord. And it's a very, apparently, uh, a very, very respectful title. It's the title Rabboni, uh, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus, who sees the heart, knows that there is faith at work in this man. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Uh, Luke, in chapter 18, puts it like this. Immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. So it's a very striking miracle. Let's consider then some of the lessons which we can draw from it. And clearly here there are lessons about need. And I think that there is a sense in the placement of this particular miracle that it does stand, Bartimaeus stands in a way for Israel and his, his colleague. They stand for Israel. They're, they're a picture of Israel, blind and begging. We were reminded last Sunday, I think it was, through Stephen's sermon on Genesis 17, that blindness or dullness as he called it, spiritual dullness can be a feature of true disciples. But there is, of course, a relative blindness and an absolute blindness. And this man, Bartimaeus, was absolutely blind, as, as, we've, as we see. He couldn't see. Uh, he had no knowledge of what was going on. He could hear, of course, and his hearing might well be with greater focus, he could feel, but he hadn't any sight. A picture, of course, of Israel. A picture, indeed, of all people without the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. Again and again in the New Testament, we see this picture used as a picture of the unconverted. So, for example, at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul talks about the Gentiles walking in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Blindness of Israel to Christ and who he was. The blindness of the scribes and Pharisees that they should ultimately have him crucified. The blindness of the Roman powers that they should crucify the Lord of glory. The blindness of our nation that it should pass laws that so contradict the word of God. Laws concerning marriage and gender. Laws concerning the care of life laws concerning abortion, what's it due to? Well, it's blindness, blindness of the heart. 
what, what is it that keeps people from coming to worship God and to hear the gospel uh, on this Lord's Day? It's blindness. Here is Bartimaeus, absolutely blind. It's spiritual blindness. What is it that causes people who otherwise are civilized and courteous from never opening their Bible, never calling upon the name of the Lord? Well, you know, it's blindness. And then he's by the highway side begging. Martin Luther says, we are always beggars. Even when we imagine ourselves rich, we are always beggars. Of course, this was the great lesson that Jesus was teaching the rich young ruler who came running to him and saying, good master, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? What, what more do I need to do? Uh, and Jesus was showing him his blindness by saying, well, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. He was showing him that covetousness and the love of money was the ruling principle of his heart. He was showing him, in fact, that he was absolutely poverty-stricken when it came to the kingdom of God. But Bartimaeus, he knows his needs. He knows that there is no one else other than Christ who can give him his sight. He is convinced of that, and he believes, moreover, that Christ is going to do it for him, that Christ uh, is someone who could do it for him, if he asks and would do it for him. He throws himself upon the Lord's mercy. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then again in the next verse, he cries the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He's prepared to throw himself on the mercy of God in Christ. That is where we are. If we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to be absolutely aware of our need and spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why do people not call on Christ's name? Because they don't know that they're spiritually beggars. They don't know that they're spiritually bankrupt. Why do people not turn to Christ? It's because they think they see when they do not see. They think they're rich when they have no real riches they do not feel their sinfulness they do not feel their lostness and therefore they do not call on the name of the Lord why is it that in this 21st century people do not call on the name of the Lord it's because there's no sense of poverty there's no sense of sinfulness there's no sense of spiritual blindness it's not to do with techniques and so on in churches of course we, we must do things as best as we can. We must do things uh, as well as ca we can and prayerfully as we can and as spiritually as we can and as wisely as we can, of course. But deep down, the problem is the heart of men and women and boys and girls. The heart which is proud and thinks itself rich and the heart which is proud and thinks it can see. And this is Israel in the time of Christ. And Bartimaeus and his friends personify that. So there's a lesson here concerning need. 
And secondly, there's a lesson here concerning Christ's compassion. We read that Jesus stood still when he came to Bartimaeus, when he heard Bartimaeus calling. And Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Compassion, pity. In fact, Christ is here exemplifying the very truths that he has been teaching the disciples when they asked to be, John and James asked to be on the throne on either side of him, he exemplifies the lesson that he gives. Whoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Christ is here going up to Jerusalem. He knows why he's going there. He knows because he's already said in the passage we read, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him, scourge him, spit upon him, and kill him. He knows he's going to have his life violently taken from him. He knows that sin is going to be placed upon him by his Father in heaven. He knows, as he knows in Gethsemane, that he has to drink a cup so bitter that no one can imagine how bitter it was. A cup which would cause him to sweat great drops like blood. A cup that would overwhelm him. He knows this. And with his heart weighed down with the prospect of this, he stands still and considers the need and the the poverty and and the wretchedness of this blind man, this blind Bartimaeus. What a picture to us of the compassion and of the love of God in Christ. What a reminder to each one of us that we have here a saviour who we can call on, who we can come to, who is willing to have mercy upon us. This man isn't a theological giant, is he, Bartimaeus? He's picked up a phrase that he's heard about. He hears it's Jesus of Nazareth and he he calls him the son of David. But somehow he's got the essence of the fact that this is God's representative. And Jesus has compassion on this man in all his needs. You know, whatever your needs, Jesus can have compassion and pity upon you and meet them and, and understand you and sympathize with you and deal with them. It may be a very complicated web, a tangled web that you've weaved, that others have weaved in your life. What a mess things can become in our lives. But here is someone who can have compassion and pity and he touches the organs of sight in this man. He touches the, the point of need in this man and heals him. Which leads us thirdly to consider his power. You see, pity alone is not enough. I'm sure many of us feel pity for the people of India and Brazil and such places at this time with all that they're going through. But we haven't the power to do 
anything much about it at all, have we? Apart from prayer, of course, that's very different. But we haven't the power physically to deal with it. And even those who are in positions of authority, the needs are so great that they haven't the power just to deal with it straight away and to heal things. But here is one who not only has pity but power. As this man has somehow identified, he's speaking to the son of David, he's speaking to the Messiah. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, that was the title that was given to Jesus, somewhat contemptuous, I think, because Nazareth was not a place that people respected or wanted to visit. Uh, It was Nazareth in the land of the Gentiles, in the border regions, ethnically mixed, religiously mixed. It wasn't a great place in the minds of Orthodox Jews. So they said Jesus of Nazareth, and they despised and rejected him. But he's also the son of David, and somehow there's this combination of being despised and rejected and yet being God's Messiah. And he has power. That power, we could say, in a sense, derives from those two elements in Christ's character and background. The element of weakness as he goes the Lamb of God to the cross. As he goes like a sheep before her shearers is dumb and goes to suffer in our place. And yet there's power, <clears throat> there's power because he's, he's God manifest in the flesh. He's God come among us. He's come himself. I will come, he says. I will come with a vengeance. I will come with a recompense. I will come and save you. And there's power to deal with this man's need. And there's power to deal with the needs of every one of us, of any one of us. And it's a reminder, I suppose, too, that in that Bartimaeus had healing from Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, it's a reminder to us that our faith must not just be in God in a general sense, but it must be in Jesus Christ. He is the one sent by God. He is the mediator between God and man. There's no other way to God except through Christ. And he has power to open the eyes of the blind, power to unstop the ears of the deaf, power to give the lame man to leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. Of course, these have metaphorical as well as physical meanings. The eyes of the spiritually blind open, the ears of the spiritually deaf unstopped so that as, as you hear the word of God, suddenly it becomes alive and meaningful. And the lame man leaping as a heart hears someone who only wanted to live for himself, only wanted to live for sinful habits and his own selfish ways, and now suddenly he's a new person in Christ, and he's living for holiness, and he's living for others, and he's living for the glory of God. And the tongue of the dumb singing, there's worship and praise welling up in his heart. And so the wilderness becomes a place which blossoms as the rose. Jesus Christ has the power to do this in individual lives, in your life, in my life, in the life of our communities. And then the final lesson, 
the lesson of salvation by faith. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. He doesn't say here, Go thy way, because uh, you've been very clever in catching my attention, that you made a lot more noise than others make, or there's something about you, I think, you know, you're going to make, when I've healed you, you're going to make a fine addition to my discipleship band. You're going to make a fine addition to the church of uh, the early church. There's nothing like that. He just says it's your faith that's made you whole. This, this faith, which is the receiving instrument, which in and of itself has no merits. His faith, you see, was the faith of a giant, really, when you compare it to the scribes and the Pharisees and even the disciples who'd seen the miracles, who'd heard the teaching. And their faith was either non-existent in the case of the Pharisees or it was weak and faltering and flawed in the case of the Twelve, although it was real faith, mustard seed faith. But here's this man who, with all his disadvantages, with all the lack of theological knowledge and insight. Here's this man who has mighty faith, who leaves his cloak, casts away his garment, and he rises and he comes to Jesus. And he's not in it for what he can get out of it. He's not in it for money. He just wants his sight. What a picture of coming to Christ and leaning on Christ. J.C. Ryle has this to say about faith. What is the beginning of all saving faith but a soul's venture on Christ? What is the life of saving faith when once begun but a continual leaning on an unseen Saviour's word? What is the first step of a Christian but a crying like Bartimaeus, Jesus, have mercy upon me? What is the daily course of a Christian but keeping up the same spirit of faith? You'll notice that Ryle doesn't just say, well, this is a lesson for starting the Christian life. What is the daily course of a Christian but keeping up the same spirit of faith? The letter to the Galatians reminds us that there's always that danger that we could start off in faith, trusting in Christ as our Savior and depending on him alone, and then resorting to works as a way of trying to earn favor with God and forgetting that the whole Christian life is a walk of faith. And as Bartimaeus teaches us, it needs to be persevering faith. When we don't get what we long for and pray for, do we give up bringing the matter to the Lord? Do we give up trusting God? Even if the answer is different from what we expect when God delays his answers do we realize that men ought always to pray and not to faint do we realize that there is this matter of the exceeding preciousness of our faith so that even if it is being tried with fire it's going to be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ in other words there's a quality there there's something there which is going to bring glory to God as God refines it and, and modifies it and makes it better able to hang on to Jesus Christ. 
Something very positive, isn't there, about this man Bartimaeus when he's been healed. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus in the way. And uh, as, as I read from Luke, Luke 18, just listen again to this description of Bartimaeus. Uh, immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And everyone around added their praise. He's, this is a new life for him. This is a, a great start. He's following him. There's a quickening and a reviving, a resurrection. And there's something positive and powerful about this man. May our lives be like that for Jesus Christ. May we not sink into mediocrity and dullness. May we not uh, go back in our Christian life, but may we continue to go forward looking unto Jesus, pressing toward the mark for God's sake. Amen. And if you are not a Christian, the message is here is clear. Trust in Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will hear you. But you may have to keep calling. He will choose when he hears you. And he will deal graciously with you for Christ's sake.